Hello everyone and welcome back to the Build and Grum podcast. I'm your host Conan Olin and in this podcast I'll be discussing the latest development updates and exploring the latest themes and trends within the construction industry. We're broadcasting from Birmingham and exploring the construction industry, planning sector and architecture and design community. Just some of the topics we're going to be discussing across the Building Brum series include projects being developed, looking at new construction methods for housing and exploring the future of the workplace. Today, I'm being joined by Benga Oludaten, the Chair for the West Midlands Institution of Civil Engineers and Associate within the Build Birmingham Bridges team at the Global Consultants WSP. We're going to be taking a look at the opportunity that Net Zero has to redefine the construction industry and infrastructure sector, the role of modern methods of construction to achieve Net Zero within infrastructure projects and how the wider built environment can benefit from this. A big thank you to our Building Brum podcast series supporters, Reality Capture and Point Cloud Modelling Specialists, Scantec Digital, Solus, one of the UK's leading suppliers of commercial flooring and wall tiles, and Sunbelt Rentals. With over 200,000 items of equipment, they're the largest providers of equipment hire in the UK. If you'd like to find out more about our Building Brum construction partners after today's podcast, you can visit the Building Brum website. Hi Benga, how are you today? Hi Connor, I'm keeping well, thanks. And uh, good to see you again and thanks for having me on. Not at all, not at all. Thanks so much for uh, taking part in the Building Brum podcast today. Really, really happy to um, to have, ha- have you on the show. I, I, I don't imagine you've managed to um, have a break at all this year and I'm really grateful you found the time to kind of take part in this because I, I can't imagine how busy you are. You, you, you're both the chair for the Institution of Civil Engineers and you're an associate with the Birmingham Bridges team at WSP. Have you managed to have a, have a break at all over the past, say, 10 months? That's a really good question, because I actually looked at myself this year, I was wondering, where did all the time go, <laughs> literally? So um, I'll just sort of start at the beginning. So I picked up the IC chair role October last year um, at the AGM. But prior to that, you know, I've got quite a long history with the IC ever since I was a graduate member. I've been involved with the graduate students committee. I became the chair. Um, I got chartered. Then I moved into the education inspiration as a STEM ambassador. Then I became the chair of that group as well. And eventually moved on to the original committee where I became chair. (laughs) How do you find the time? How have you found the time to do all of that? And then also with, with all the work that you're doing at WSP, how are you spinning those plates? It's just a passion, really. I love civil engineering. You know, I've always loved bridges. I've loved, you know, infrastructure. I've loved buildings. I just enjoy, you know, creating things. You know, that's sort of my passion. So it sort of drives me. You know, it's been said that when you find what you enjoy, it's no longer work, you know, and it's just the energy that, you know, that I feed off on. But on the other side, I have learned a lot of time management skills. So I, I call it like a next level ninja <laughs> time management skills and how to balance, you know, the workload uh, within WSP to make sure that that doesn't suffer, to balance, you know, my IC um, volunteering responsibilities, and also to make sure I have, you know, a good social life, you know, uh, meet up with friends, go on national trust uh, walks, and, you know, just live, you know. So it's, it's all a balance and knowing how to spin those plates, make sure they all don't fall. <laughs> No, I completely get it. I mean, um, well, with with your role as as chair for say the ICE West Midlands during this period, I mean, you 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 took on the role. Was it last October? Did you say? Yes. And then does that when does that come to? How long does your term last for? Uh, just twelve months. So I'll be handing over next month at the next AGM. 
well, that's not that's not a long that's not a huge amount of time to be chair. I mean, what 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 was what's important to you during this period as chair, and kind of what what, what do you want to have achieved by the end of the twelve months? Well, as the regional chair, my priority is to members in the region. You know, to make sure that, especially during the pandemic, to ensure that they were all still connected, that they all still felt part of the institution and didn't feel isolated. So my first um, task was to ensure that, you know, um, our digital delivery of webinars or community meetings, we could all still connect with each other and look for ways of, you know, networking because, you know, being in a pandemic, we all couldn't see face to face. So we had to come up with different ways of how to interact. And I've had lots of calls with my branch chairs of, you know, generating ideas of what to do. And while, you know, everything hasn't, you know, fully gone according to plan, I believe that, you know, I'm leaving the um, region in a much better state, you know, have discussed a lot of things about how we move to the next phase, you know, with the hybrid working online and in person and the mixing that. So that was my sort of first focus. Then the second focus I had was around digital, you know, because I've, while I see the role of digital as an enabler, primarily not just for how we work, but also in terms of net zero. And that then drove the third phase, which is net zero. So my theme was on decarbonizing the West Midlands engine. So it was a play on the Midlands engine, so just for the Western oh, yeah. there, just to make it uh, quite relevant. So that was my thing, you know, how do we, in practical terms, you know, decarbonize our region, you know, and the economy and make sure that we don't leave people behind. We don't, um, you know, create more problems while trying to solve one problem. So it's just having that forum, engaging with um, the membership to drive ideas through, um, to bring ideas in, you know, from other um, infrastructure sectors as well, not just looking at civil engineering or transportation infrastructure in isolation. So that those were my sort of three areas of focus as chair. So with kind of, to me, it feels like every week and month that goes by, more and more companies kind of join this journey to achieve net zero. And uh, what, what, what I want to know is, uh, I hope I hope you can tell me, how, how do we go from supporting this vital journey to kind of to implementing it and delivering it consistently, not only across the region, but across across the UK? What, what, what do you think we need to do? How do we how do we get there? Well, that's a that's a very interesting point, because at my sort of AGM presentation last year, I talked about the fact that we need to look back to then step forward. So we all know that Birmingham was the home of the sort of first industrial revolution. And unfortunately, you know, some of the outcome of that is what we're trying to, you know, correct with climate change, with the results in climate change. But also I felt because we started off the industrial revolution then, why don't we start off the next uh, revolution, which is around green and digital? So I thought the West Midlands is properly placed, you know, with the center of, you know, the UK, links to London, Manchester and the North. And um, so with, with the pandemic, it was quite um, interesting. So I held um, a president's visit early this this year. Uh, I, our president, Rachel Skinner, who's also an executive director of WSP, she created this video called um, Hashtag Shaping Zero. So if you're searching YouTube, Hashtag Shaping Zero, I recommend all listeners to go and just give it a watch. It's really brilliant. And she talked about how, you know, what are we going to do about it? You know, it's not just, yeah, there's a problem, but what do we actually do? And I then sort of dovetail that with 
my original focus on you know decarbonizing the West Midlands engine and spoke with the infrastructure leaders in the region, spoke with our membership, and we came up with sort of three themes. One was around collaboration. We need to work together. There is no way that one single institution or organization can solve this problem. We're all in it together. We all need to work together to solve it. We need to share knowledge. You know, there's no point in um, one part of the world, you know, uh, coming up with something really excellent and keeping it to themselves. That needs to be shared across. Um, the third is also about digital enabling, uh, embedment. So we need to start moving across this digital way of working. And it's not just um, computers or, you know, um, digital equipment. It's more of how we work. You know, we need to think more in terms of data in terms of how we interpret the data we get in, in terms of how do we use digital technologies to improve our decision-making process and not just rely on uh, one person's um, experience, but we can see for ourselves, you know, what's the evidence and be able to then take the next step forward. What, with, with that role that digital has to play in, in the strive to achieve net zero, where, where have you seen this, this digital transformation within projects lead to or kind of assist in a project at this point to the to the successful implementation of achieving net zero like have we, have we got an example you can you can give me quite like something that our, our listeners wouldn't consider that being ah oh, the role of digital would be would be something like that like you mentioned data like I didn't to me like the role of digital has always been that kind of that kind of the, the operational side. So that, that that's quite interesting that you, you talk about the role of data playing within within the digital transformation. Uh, yeah, so examples a bit tenuous right now because, you know, we're all still on this journey. Yeah. And we're all trying to understand, right, how do we get to the point we want to get to? So the government has the 2050 target and that's across all sectors. So some sectors um, are rapidly decarbonizing faster than other sectors. And it's always good to understand why that is the case and you know share lessons across but if i were to look at just the way we sort of worked as wsp over the um, pandemic where you know everyone had to work from home and immediately we had to switch to online meetings we had to switch to online collaboration we had to switch to online delivery um, you know the reports and projects and all that so that in a sense is has pushed you know digital transformation to a different level whereby previously everyone have thought oh it's a bit too tough to do but when pandemic hit we all did it and that's a very good demonstration of what we can achieve if we really put our minds to it um i'll give an example of the hs2 birmingham cousin street station so the team was set a very very ambitious target by hs2 to cut back the carbon in the design you know, by almost half, 50%. And to their credit, they achieved 55%. Brilliant. So that that was quite amazing. And um, that that was published, I think, last year, and it was all all over the news. So everyone can have a look at that. Um, But as WSP, as a a company, you know, we're also taking um, our cue from the government, but we're also being ambitious as well. So we intend to have net zero operations by 2025 that's four years from now so operations will be net zero that's soon that is that's very yes. that is ambitious and also we're committed to having the carbon footprint of all our device all our designs and advice by 2030 
that's nine years from now. So we set ourselves very ambitious targets, but some might be a bit, oh, it's a bit too much, but I believe that, you know, you need to set ambitious targets to get to where you want to go to. Now, I, if you do, of, yeah. which, which, with those targets, is that what needs to happen next, do you think? Do you think people need to set those kind of, set those really ambitious targets? Because with those, with the key themes, and those key aspects that you mentioned about kind of getting net zero right, it kind of has, it has collaboration underpinning all of it. So say with, with, with your, with how WSP and, and, and your approach to setting the really ambitious targets, is that something that you think needs to be done across companies and also would you say local authorities as well? Like what, 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 what how do you feel that they've been so far to help achieve this um, the journey to achieve net zero? Well, to answer your question, yes, it has to be across the industry. It has to be across the economy. We cannot isolate one from the other because it's all, all the systems connected, you know? So if you improve one area, but you don't improve the other, the overall effect is negligible. So we all need to work together as a coherent um, partnership. Um, but beyond the local authorities, you know, most of them declared climate emergencies, you know, and that was a good first step, you know, saying that, right, we've got a problem. The next step then is, clarifying the policy to then enable the practical application to make those changes happen. So I'll give an example for my company because that's the information I can really speak about. Um, WSP supported the West Midlands Combined Authority to um, produce the first five-year plan. And that was in March this year. And that sets out, you know, the steps that um, the West Midlands Combined Authority needs to take to sort of start moving across that trajectory down towards net zero by 2050. So those are the sort of first steps that need to be taken, but it needs to be more, we need to do more across the region. Well, with, with the need to do more across the region, what, what, what do you think, what about the next generation of say designers, engineers, architects, project managers, project managers? What, what's being done to help the future workforce across the region understand and appreciate these, say these new ways of working and, and the importance to kind of consider everything that goes into deliver, developing and delivering a, a net zero project? That's a very, very good question. Um, so I was part of um, an internal leadership um, development program in WSP called Task Force, where we sort of looked at, you know, how we decarbonize the transport infrastructure. And we sort of came up with three ideas and I'll just talk through, you know, three yeah, ideas. Definitely. So the first one is around, um, as, as I mentioned before, sharing the knowledge. You know, we need to share this knowledge that we have. If one part, using WS as an example, if one part of the business has the knowledge about, you know, how to use lower materials in design and doesn't share that with everyone else, you know, the royal effect doesn't work. So we need to share that. And to talk about the IC, um, we've um, started this program of IC Carbon Champions, where we have people who have come forward to explain what they've done to reduce, you know, carbon in their in their sphere of um, in their sectors, and that is just the start of making sure that we share the knowledge across the industry. So I'll, I'll again recommend listeners to you know do a search for IC Carbon Champions, and it's it's quite brilliant. Uh, the second point is around carbon literacy. So we hear all the phrases like decarbonization, net zero, low carbon. You know, are we all saying the same thing? Are we saying slightly different things? So having that common language and we all understand 
when we're referencing certain terms, what we mean by those terms is another step to ensure that um, the next generation are speaking you know, that language and they know what they're actually um, being asked to do and what they can speak their clients about. You know, things like embedded carbon, operational carbon, you know, all those sort of definitions need to be understood to then know, right, how do we then reduce some certain um, areas or totally eliminate it in certain sectors as well. Then the last one is around the carbon measurement and design. So we've had the BIM sort of um, revolution where everyone is, you know, BIM's now standard, you know, yeah. but yeah. 10 years ago, it wasn't, you know, it was quite a, quite a push to make that happen. But beyond the BIM now, it's all about putting the carbon measurement into that design so that as you're developing your design and you're asking yourself the question, how much carbon is in this? The design can tell you because it's a link to data. It's linked to um, databases that tells you, right, if you're using this particular material, this is what you get. If you're going down this length, uh, you know, to construct it, this is the carbon that you could have. So if you put all that within the design, it enables designers to make the right choices and right decisions and be able to explain that to clients confidently. Yeah, so it is, it is really constantly coming back to that just knowledge share, just being knowing them knowing having the knowledge of the materials having the knowledge of how the construction life cycle works and the kind of the implementation and delivery and development of schemes it's yeah no i i, I it's, it sounds to me that yeah that that, that kind of that the answer to the question of the next generation what what needs to what needs to happen you, you you've covered you've covered all of it so that's that's it's very reassuring the um if i want to take a look at modern methods of construction and kind of you mentioned to me earlier that you're on, you're on the Birmingham Bridges team at WSP. And I know you've worked on a number of major infrastructure projects with the likes of, say, Highways England and Birmingham City Council. I'm interested in, in, in finding out from yourself what what's changed in bridge design to kind of enable an increase in modern methods of construction and and what benefits are you are you seeing from this? Right. If we're talking about bridges, we could be here all day because <laughs> I'm really, <laughs> really passionate about bridges. And even even though if I'm not in bridge design, I still love bridges, you know, go around taking pictures of them. And, and sadly, sometimes organize my holidays around bridge landmarks in the world. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, but to come to your point about modern methods of construction, it's um, uh, I think it's come about due to the client's um, sort of drive for efficiency because having bespoke bridges, I mean, if you're an organization like National Highways, you're looking after 22,000 bridges. If all of them are all different, that means you need 22,000 approaches. But if you can standardize quite a few of them so that you know exactly um, all the parameters with the types, but then just you know slightly either change the span or change the skew, but the configuration that makes up that structure you already know it makes it quite easier to one maintain and also um for the technical approval authorities to understand you know what's happening with with the design so i would say that the first bit is around standardization of um, elements and parts so yeah. with um bridge design you've got the superstructure the horizontal element and you've got the substructure which is like the vertical element which holds up the the bridge so with the horizontal um, element we've been able to use beam types like Banner. so they've been quite they've been around for quite a while and they've become part of how we design so we don't have to individually 
design our own precast bean to just pick it up from the uh, manufacturer's um, catalog and we apply it to our design. In a similar fashion, um, Langrock have developed um, a DFMA for the substructure called um, precast shells. And this in a similar fashion enables the rapid construction of um, substructures and abutments. So the HS2 enabling works uh, around the Birmingham Interchange Station. There are four bridges there which have been constructed, um, two steel composite, two pre-stressed precast beam types. They've all used this approach where they were able to construct the abutments rapidly yeah. and they were able to construct the superstructure offline that just next to the bridge. And then over a week in possession for the steel um, um, structures, they just use a self-propelled modular transport to drive the superstructure and drop it onto the apartment. And that in, in itself saved so many um, hours and days of construction time. And also because the parts are standardized, you know, we know where they're coming from. They come from a factory. Yeah. And where you know, factory conditions, you have all the quality assurance systems in place and all the elements are all tagged and embedded. Um, so just to fall back a bit. So when we um, designed the, 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 the bridge in the BIM space, we use the precast elements to sort of um, arrange the abutments and all those elements in the BIM environment are tagged. They'll have individual markers and those then are taken to the factory so that we know where each element is meant to be placed. So you don't misplace the elements as you arrange them. So that's one great benefit as well. And then um, the health and safety impact, you don't need that many people when you're installing precast products or you need a highly skilled individuals to just make sure, right, they are aligned, tolerances in place and the process just goes. So you can have a team of three, four people do the whole abutment, you know, literally in a day. So the efficiencies of from, from pre-construction right through to the actual, but whilst it's being developed in the factory, the, the checks and balances that can go on in there and then the kind of the construction phase, it's just the efficiencies across the board just yes. go through the roof. That's, that's kind of my big, big takeaway. Okay, that's, that's, but see now, if you, if you look at say with that HS2 example there and you think about large state infrastructure being, it, it's well-funded and it kind of gives that opportunity and the programs of works to, to innovate. And we've got a lot of people from the burnt environment who, who listen to this podcast, who are designing and building schools, they're developing small, medium, large developments, retrofitting and repurposing existing buildings. It's just there's so many different projects taking place that working on so many different projects. What if there if there are three lessons that you could share? And that would be relevant to the listeners when it comes to modern methods of construction and kind of what there's key things to consider and even kind of looking back and touching on net zero what what would those lessons be what what, what advice would you give to um to, to, to people when that's kind of either starting this journey or those that are like halfway through or, or halfway through their journey of kind of understanding and working towards net zero what what, what would you tell people well with Modern methods of construction, um, it's now government policy. So if you're aware of the launch of the construction playbook, that spells it out that, you know, that is the direction the industry needs to go. So that's already been driven at the very top. Um, the three lessons sort of I will sort of pick up, and again, very similar to how I started with Net Zero, is collaboration. You need to collaborate with the supply chain. 
because it's not just the designers, it's not just the manufacturers, it's not just installers in isolation. We all need to work together and create the sufficiencies and, you know, create something amazing that individually we would not have thought of um, initially. Uh, The second will be to use industry examples. So while my example was a bridge, but there are principles in there that are applicable to buildings, applicable to, you know, building hospitals, building schools, um, building utility infrastructure. You know, the principles are there and it's all about understanding and using that as an example to clients to, to sort of give them that confidence that you're not just going out on a limb and hoping it works, but, you know, these principles have worked in X, Y, and Z places and we don't see why it should be different in this environment. And also, you know, there are lots of benefits for you in terms of time, budget, and, um, you know, demonstrate innovation that as a client, you are pushing innovation through your supply chain. And the third would just be, again, what I sort of picked up at the start, data. So everyone thinks of been more of the 3D images that they all see, but that's, that's half or even quarter of the story. The main story is the data. Because as you're designing and developing, you can put all the information for all the elements within that environment, which then gets transferred to the maintenance team so they don't have to start scratching their heads and wondering what's that or what's this. All the information is there. And because you have that data, you can link it up to so many things. You know, The manufacturer's uh, systems can ping and say, right, you've had this on this site for X number of years. It's time to either inspect it or come up with um, a replacement. So there are different ways that this can help to ensure that our infrastructure is maintained for the uh, lifespan that we require and not just, you know, let them all fail and then have to start from scratch all over again. Thank thank you so much for for going through all that with me and answering all those questions. I, I, I genuinely, I feel like I know so much more now about both net zero and also modern methods of construction that hs2 example with um with, with the bridge with, with lango raw that's really really interesting the um thanks thank you for joining me today on the podcast i really really appreciate you taking the time to um yeah to go through everything with oh me. thank you thank you it's been it's brilliant you know talking about you know what i'm passionate about it's really that, great you can really tell yeah you you can tell the, the passion comes right off you mate you really really tell no thank you so much again and um you have a great you have, you have a great weekend and make sure you get a break soon i will do <laughs> thanks connor all the best take care cheers bye